0: And its impact on design has been huge. Whether you like it or not, there is no denying that TV and streaming services are full of hours of home makeover shows, design competitions, home improvement and organization shows, and renovations large and small. Designers understand the power of good design to improve lives, but does television? How much reality is there in reality TV? What does appearing on TV do for a designer's career? And now that there is a beginning to be a bit of a backlash against the producers of some design shows, is doing television something that designers should still consider? I am fortunate to have with me three designers who have experienced firsthand the benefits and some of the drawbacks of appearing on television and understand the kind of impact it can have on your career. First is Tom Felicia, one of the most beloved figures in the American design industry. Tom was already successful when Bravo's Queer Eye for the Straight Guy debuted in 2003. It won an Emmy after its first year, and over its four-year run, his tailored yet witty rooms amassed millions of fans. Tom also designs collections of furniture, rugs, hardware, wall coverings, and artworks, and is the author of two books that survey his interiors and his own lakeside house in upstate New York. Welcome, Tom. Hey, Michael, happy to be here. We also have Lauren Leese, a designer in Great Falls, Virginia, who with her husband, David, is the star of the HGTV show Best House on the Block. Her rooms merge rustic or beachy elements with clean line contemporary designs to create welcome, natural and serene environments. Even if like her, you have five children and three dogs. She is also a blogger, produces a series of shorts called Homework for IGTV, and is the author of three books.
1: Hello, Lauren. Hi, thanks for having me.
0: Thank you. I am pleased to have with us LA-based designer, Bregan Jane. Bregan appears on the latest reboot of Extreme Makeover Home Edition and is the star of the new show, The House My Wedding Bought, both on HGTV. And she's also been featured on the Food Network. The home she designs feature a charming mix of contemporary and vintage pieces with plenty of mom-approved luxury. She's the mother of two sons and is the author of a children's book, Carby. Welcome, Bregan.:
2: Hello. Thank you for having me.
0: So, Tom, I'd like to ask you first, because I think you were the first one to be on TV of this group anyway. And, you know, Queer Eye came out in 2003. It was sort of the early stages of a lot of design on TV. And I'd love to know how you got involved. How did they find you? Well, I know when we say 2003
3: in television, it almost seems like it could have been in black and white, but (laughs) (laughs) no, it was a while ago. And I have to say my sort of connection with Queer Eye and getting on the show was completely unplanned. I was at that time, my office was in Soho at 270 Lafayette. I was leaving my office with my then dog Paco, and we were getting into the elevator at about five o'clock on a Friday He was desperate to go to the bathroom. And I was, of course, running a little bit late. So he was almost tying his hind legs in a knot by the time we were leaving. (laughs) We get into the elevator. It was me and about, I don't know, about 10 women and my dog and myself. And the elevator got stuck in between two floors on the way down the lobby. And a woman started having a panic attack. And she said, you know, I have really bad news. I'm severely claustrophobic. And so I sat on the floor with her and got her sort of acclimated to the situation with my dog and asked her if she was single and said, you know, I don't know if you've seen the calendar with a fireman on it, but I think they're coming to get us. So if you're single, you might want to pull your act together because that ladder's about to come down. And then they opened the hatch and I said, it does not appear to be the guys from the um, calendar. (laughs) So everyone relax. (laughs) And then when we were in the lobby, one of the gals in the elevator said, are you a comedian? And I said, no, I'm not. I said, I'm an interior designer. And I said, what do you do? And she said, she's a talent scout. And we just sort of said, oh, we didn't realize we worked in the same building, blah, blah, whatever. So we just said, let's grab lunch sometime. And about two months later, she called and I thought, oh, she was calling to yell at me because I never called her back. And she called and said, there's this show looking for a designer who is in the design world a practicing designer, and that would maybe have television experience or possibly be television friendly. And I said, well, I do not have any television experience and I don't know how television friendly I am, but you know <laughs> I mean? I said, what is the premise? She gave me a little bit about the show and I said, you know, well, I'll certainly look into it. And it was back at the time when like, I mean, it was shows like Design on a Dime or shows that were like while you were out or something like where like the neighbors, you know, did your house and they were always mad at the neighbor and you know, it was... It was kind of funny, but it wasn't really about design. It was kind of about the experience of just having fun with it. And I actually thought like, wow, it would be really great if there was an opportunity for design to have a bigger, you know, sort of role in television and, and mean a little bit more. So I was kind of open to the idea, but it took about over the course of six months a few different interviews, and it was terrifying. And I was in front of a camera, which I was not comfortable with. And they were asking me questions, not only about design, but also about being a gay man living in New York City and what that was like, and my relationship with my friends being straight and gay. And I was answering things like, I just don't really think about it that way. I just think about it. My friends are my friends. And I thought I was answering everything incorrectly. And then when it was actually offered to me, I was shocked (laughs) to say (laughs) the least. I was also terrified. I said I needed a little bit of time. And I reached out to like people that I worked for, like David Kleinberg and Jeffrey Bill Huber and Alan Tanksley. I reached out to all these people that i had worked for and worked with. And I asked my brother, who's in advertising, who lived in New York. And I talked to my dad, who my mom had just passed away the year before, and asked him what he thought. And I would say across the board, except for my brother, (laughs) everybody was like, you're going to ruin your career. It's not going to be great. I wouldn't do it. It sounds like a real Mm -hmm. sort of tragic idea. It's kind of what I got from almost everybody. Wow. The thing was, is that I don't disagree with what the advice was from a lot of people, because based on what was going on in television at that time, I think that it was a bit of a risk. And at that time, I think it was really hard the idea of like being on television, I think discredited a lot of designers because a lot of designers that were on television at that time were simply hosts who used to be a model or something. Right, you were
0: a serious designer running a business.
3: Yeah. Right. And so that was kind of where I started out and I thought to myself, I'm never going to be asked to do this again. And people seem to be asking me maybe once a month or every other month to sort of look at a potential design project. So I thought if this once in a lifetime opportunity were to come along, to like an artist who is a fine artist to work in a new medium. Like if you were working in bronze and all of a sudden it was the seventies and people were like, would you want to work in acrylic? And we have this opportunity for you to learn all about it. I just feel like as an artist, you would never say no to that. So I thought to myself as a creative person, I always felt, you know, I'd worked at Paris Hadley. I worked with Robert Metzger. I worked at Jeffrey Bill Huber and I love design, but I always felt that there was this kind of. You know, it was the art gallery experience where you walk in and people just kind of look at you and wonder why you're there.
0: (laughs) Right, very snooty. Yeah. I used to joke about the guys who wore navy blazers with brass buttons. That was the designer. Yeah, a construction project. You know what I mean? They are in a construction meeting (laughs) in like, you know, Belgian
3: loafers. And you're just (laughs) like, Uh, what is going on? Uh, So the thing is, is that I always thought like it would be so great if interior design really became a little bit more like Approachable and just more dynamic at that level. And it just felt more like the way we wanted to live. And it felt the industry beyond just hopefully making pretty rooms or houses or projects. I thought this is the opportunity to do that. And I thought if it totally screws up my career, I'll be a ski instructor in Aspen for a few years and then someone will ask me to do something. And I had no idea the power of television. I didn't understand that at that time because it wasn't my background. I didn't really study it. I just saw television as a form of entertainment and information really. And so I never really thought about the business side of it. It did open up a lot of great opportunities. It made a lot of things that used to be more fluid, a lot more difficult for me, but I was up for the challenge.
0: Right now, Lauren, Clearly, by the time you got involved, there was a lot more design on TV. The situation was very different. But how did it come about for you? Was it something you aspired to?
1: You know, no, it was the money. uh (laughs) I'd love to say. It was like some cute, sweet story where we were discovered. No, it was one of those things where I'd been blogging for a while, sharing photos and snippets of my design work and family life for years and would get emails from producers. Hey, do you want to do a show? And I was always like, no, no interest in TV. But then I wrote my first book and I was watching it, you know, on the little Amazon list, you can kind of, it's ranked like where your book is. And so I'm like, okay. It was like at number one in the first, week. And then Ellen's design book came in and it was like, oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> but then like Reese Witherspoon's came in and then Emily Henderson's came in. I just kind of watched it. I was like, oh man, I'm like, it's TV is where it's at. And I was like, I loved writing the book so much. I love the process of, I learned through writing and just sharing it teaches, but it really gets my ideas solidified. That book i basically spent everything i made on the photography and was like well there went that money so i couldn't justify writing at that point i was like i want to write more books i have more that i'd like to talk about but it's such an opportunity cost to give up work for the months it takes to write to shoot all the money to photograph and so i said to my literary agent who had just moved out to LA at the time i was like you know what The next time someone reaches out, we'll just see where it takes us because I would love to write more books and also wanted product lines and was, you know, as a designer, we know we're kind of on that hamster wheel. We can only do so many projects. We can only make so much for our time. I think I had three kids or maybe four kids at the time. I was like, I need to somehow get some mailbox money in from other avenues, keep designing, but eventually be able to kind of slow down, get my hours back So someone reached out the next week and we happened to be in LA for work and we met with them and they were the production company, hit it off. And at the time, I think we were selling one of our houses. We do a lot of selling houses and moving. We kind of flip our own houses unintentionally. And so they sent out a crew and shot it and I sent it to HGTV. And then they did the, I guess, what is it at that point? I think it's sizzle reel and then pilot And then the season. So it was just, it was one of those things where we were kind of like, let's just get on this ride, see where it takes us, and
2: kind of try to have fun with it.
0: Great. And Brigan, how about you? How did you get started?
2: Well, I saw guys like Tom Felicia in 2003 (laughs) and what they were doing. And seriously, your work in design at the time was so groundbreaking that I think for anyone who is in this industry who wanted to do more, you and that show were a prime example of how you could do that.
3: Well, thank you. (laughs) That's so awesome to say.
2: And I had worked really hard to have a recognizable design career. I mean, my business at the time was doing really well in Santa Monica, single mom. I've got two boys at home and I'd been working on my website. I'd like been going to the gym. I'd been getting everything together to be TV ready But I always thought that it would be years down the road. I thought I would have to get an agent first. I thought that there were all these other things, but I kept constantly positioning myself, my company, and my work into a place where TV could be an option. And so I literally got a phone call. We're casting for Extreme Makeover Home Edition. And I thought, well, how nice to be called. Like how nice to be called. And I, I swore yeah. that's where it was going to end. And my assistant was in the room at the time. And she was like, you've got this. This is your show. And I was like, I don't think so. And in the TV world, you go through rounds, just like Tom talked about and interviews and each round. I'm like, so nice to be called. So nice to be offered. So nice to be thought of. Don't you
3: think every answer, I I felt like everything I said was completely not what they wanted to hear. And sometimes I was like, I'm not even sure it made sense.
2: Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you're enjoying our podcast. My name is Anna Brockway, and I'm the co-founder and president of Cherish. If you're a designer who's struggling with long lead times from suppliers and increasingly impatient clients, now is the time to shop with us. Our vintage antique and one-of-a-kind inventory is ready to ship right now. To learn more, visit Cherish.com. That's C-H-A-I-R-I-S-H.com. And now back to the show.
0: Clearly, TV is great for brand building, which is a lot of what we're talking about. And Tom, I mean, do you think that without Queer Eye, you would still have reached that point where you would be doing rugs and hardware and all that?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. And let me just tell you. So when I was starting back in 2003, every season, I thought, well, this will be our last season. You know, we did, I think, four seasons or four years. And then it kind of continued. I immediately went to Dress My Nest. On the design network, and then I did Tacky House, and then I just did the thing with Carson with Get a Room with Tom and Carson back on Bravo. But I didn't really understand that there wasn't really a blueprint of someone really doing what I started to do. You know, Nate Berkus was kind of the only other person I thought like that I could relate to as a designer. There was like Ty Pennington, who's like a friend and I know, him. he's actually my neighbor in New York. We, we bought in the same building, which is so hilarious. But, you know, he's like a construction guy who used to be a model. Yeah, there's
0: a lot of real estate. There's right. a lot of construction, right. you know, contractors, all that. But you kind of have to find like someone that like who's doing what you're doing
3: and how do they do it and how does it work and what's the best thing to do? There wasn't really a lot of, you know, I didn't have a lot of reference. I just knew that the television thing was growing. My company actually was at I think at that time, about 12 people, I shrunk it down to about 10 or nine people. And I promoted some people up to like senior designers and had the company kind of running. I was remote working, which was way ahead of its sort of thing, but it was all done through FedEx, which is even more hilarious. But (laughs) (laughs) it was like, basically it was like a chisel and a stone and a FedEx box. There was just not the things that we have available to us today, but it worked. And I have to say keeping the business alive was one thing, but then it was like, you know, trying to get jobs. It wasn't every family or potential client that wanted their designer to be on TV at that time, because it wasn't part of the norm yet. It did open up opportunities for people saying, Hey, we'd love to do product with you. But I was also getting things that were product that they were like, all we want to do is put your name on this line of like Tupperware. And I was like, wait, that seems like a bad idea. Like, you know, so I was trying to figure it out and I had agents in Hollywood that were like, they're going to give you X amount of dollars to just put your name on like tissue paper. And I was like, I know, but I feel like, isn't that going to like destroy my (laughs) credibility? So it was a little bit of navigation that had to happen and trust building and just instinct. And I just thought if I could develop products that I would use in my own design projects, that would be a way for me to sort of justify all of this sort of name recognition that comes out of being in front of a lot of people. And I thought that was really important. Also doing books. My first book was Tom Felicia's Style that I did on my own after the Queer Eye book. And I did that to basically explain to people, A, that I'm a trained designer, but also sort of my lineage of working with real design firms and doing real design projects because I didn't want to be typecast as sort of a television designer back in the day when that was not a good thing. It's different today. But I also wanted people in the design world to know that TV was a credible thing. So I talked about that. And I also wanted people in the world of television to understand that I was a real designer. And I wanted to maintain credibility and authenticity in both places. And that was a little bit of a juggling act for about, you know, I had to do like show houses and I had to publish and Mm -hmm. I had to really push myself. Even editors had to take a risk because as you know, Michael, putting a designer on television at that time in your magazine, you kind of probably had to sit around and say, are we doing this? Is this the right thing to do for a magazine? So we were all in that space. And I'm really proud of all of the people and you included that really helped represent television and allow it to grow so that designers could find a home in television and have that opportunity to really sort of promote quality design. It still is a little bit of a journey, and I know that we're going to talk about that, but it's a journey to be reckoned with. I always tell people when the opportunity comes to work in television, you have to be ready to really be on your game In both the real world of design as well as in television, because any slip up in either direction, you're putting yourself in front of a lot of people that are excited about you succeeding, and you're also putting yourself in front of a lot of people that are excited about you failing. Right. You have to be open to that concept.
0: And you're speaking to two different audiences. You're speaking to the mass audience that watches TV and likes to see makeovers. And then you're also speaking to the high-end design world of which you guys are very much a part. The brands, your peers, your colleagues, and all of those. It's a delicate thing. So, Brigan, I wanted to ask you, because you said you were excited to get the call when you got the call. But there was clearly a lot of work before that. Yeah, because but- the people had to know you even if they're just talent scouts, whose job is to know what's new, they had to know you. So how did you do that? Was it through your blog? Did you...
2: I mean, uh, for me, brand building from the beginning was kind of the whole purpose. So I went in and started everything with clear vision and took the time to sit down. My blog actually, before it was in any sort of beautiful rendition, I made myself blog every week for an entire year before I spent the money on the website. Because I was like, I can reverse engineer this, but I'm not wasting time and money on things that I can't keep up with. And so I really made myself do the work, get myself published in magazines first. And like Tom was saying that I want to echo, you kind of uniquely put yourself in a position to prove that you're good on both ends. And neither club knows if you belong in both clubs because you're in each club, right? I mean, I had a TV producer recently on a show that hasn't come out yet. We were doing makeovers in another state, and you get into these productions and you have to dig in. And somebody looked up and looked at me, and they were like, You really do this? And I'm like, You <laughs> hired me and still didn't know that this is where my talent is. Like,
3: yes. The thing that's fascinating to me is that when you're in production and the producers who have worked with a lot of people in design space will say, wait a minute, why don't you go home and get rest tonight? So you you're ready to shoot (laughs) in the morning. I'm like, I'm not leaving the set until the candles are lit or about to be lit or ready to be lit. I'm like panicking right now because it looks not the way I want it to look right now. And it doesn't look like it's going to be on time. They would say, well, you know, we only want you to stay here till 10 o'clock. And I said, I will, but then we need to finish at 10 (laughs) o'clock. or at least be in a place where it looks optimistic. Because I think a lot of the producers really are coming at this from like, they still call us talent, but they see us as a TV talent and they hire a production company that's really great at producing a concept, but a lot of them are coming from doing sets for like sitcoms and things like that. And they're not really understanding the way a livable space works. And that how it needs to actually translate to a livable space, how you make them feel authentic and how you make them feel like they have a soul and a personality rather than feeling like a stage set. It's not to say it's bad that they do what they're doing. They're amazingly talented. It's just that it's a different sensitivity. There's a nuance to sort of being an actual designer that designs for living and a designer who designs for making brick look real on camera. (laughs)
0: <laughs> right, right. It's different disciplines. Yeah, we use real bread. Right. <laughs>
1: And I found, and you guys probably found too, you really need to protect the reputation that you work so hard for. I mean, and I get it because, you know, they're trying to do things on a budget in a certain time frame and all of that. And so you're constantly navigating, okay, how do I not make my clients all wish that they didn't work with me, but still make it hit this budget and this timeline. When our show started, they had hired another interior designer to do all the work. And oh my I was God. so confused. I I was like, who is this? And she started walking with me through the houses that we were surveying. And she's like, we need to do this, this, and that. And I'm like, what's going on here? Like, it was so confusing. And I was like, no. And that was a massive chunk of the budget. Getting paid more than I was going to get paid. And so I was like, what are we doing here? And we had to have a real honest conversation. And you got to get real at a certain point. And you're like, hey, it's got to be me designing these people. Join the show because they thought it was me. I can't just hand over and say, I'm going to show up as quote unquote talent. And that was something that quite honestly, my showrunner and I would have a serious issue who was kind of upset. He ended up getting fired halfway through, but he was upset that my husband and I refused to kind of just be the talent and sort of say the lines and not actually do the work. Oh,
0: that's so interesting. It was
2: painful. Yeah. Yeah. And I had a completely opposite experience, but totally understand from the same perspective because Extreme Makeover is such a big show. Mm-hmm. There yeah. has to be a thousand designers behind the scenes and you're telling such emotional stories and you're really doing it in five days. But I had this same challenge in almost feeling my imposter syndrome went off like so hardcore because there were so many people doing it, but on camera, I was the one owning all of it. TV wants to attach you to it. But that's where I was so lucky to be able to make design such a bigger conversation and really learn how to be talent. I can make anything look pretty. It's much harder to hold an emotional conversation on TV.
3: You know, what was interesting is that, again, going back to Queer Eye, I think at that time, again, there really wasn't a blueprint for what we were doing. And when we were doing it, the producers had no real experience in that space either. So they asked me how we would build the art department that would then do what we needed to do. And I said, well, basically I built it like a design office and I created sort of a lead designer who worked directly under me and was at every meeting with me and traveled with me all the time. And basically I would say, this is what I see. This is how we want to do it. And it was the same way that I set my office up in New York city where I have a lead designer, they have a junior designer, they are supported by an architect. And then each project starts with three people. And then it builds onto that depending on what it needs beyond that. So we would have, if we were doing three episodes at once, because we were shooting like 25 episodes, we did 101 episodes in four years. So it's like we were on a gerbil wheel. So I had boards up and I had like a lead designer who worked with sort of a junior designer on each project. And I was kind of there sort of doing the design direction with that person. And I kind of built it really like a design office and they allowed me to do that. And I always used that blueprint throughout all of the television shows that I worked on. And it's always served me really well because it allowed me to, first and foremost, have a really fabulous team that I loved working with. We literally were in the trenches together. We were up late. When they were cut, like they would say, Oh, well, you know, they're not going to get overtime. I would like fight for them. I would go in and be like, They need to get overtime. They've been here for too long. Like, this is crazy. When they told us we needed to do something faster or cheaper, we literally sat down and figured out how to do it. We did. We were like, We're going to figure this out.
0: We'll start with you, Lauren. Have you ever been asked to like change a design or heighten it or hype it? I know experts, anybody, an expert in any field, but I'm sure these TV producers, oh, we know TV. We know what's going to work on TV as opposed to you. Has that ever happened to you?
1: You know, no, they were really great with just letting me do my things. I really enjoyed that. And once we got it down and we involved our team and kind of did it our normal way, they Mm -hmm. let us do it. Well, I guess there was sort of that going on was when we were picking the houses and, Mm -hmm. you know, they're picking the clients. And so it's an interesting process because We normally speak to all of our clients and we make sure that the, you know, the scope is in line with the budget and all of that. And so they are choosing from a different perspective. So that is sort of where it comes down differently because they want awesome people and you're like, I want an
0: emotional story. Yeah.
1: Yeah. They want a good thing to watch. We were like, just always praying. We're like, I hope the sweet people have enough money to do what they want to do (laughs) because you like Tom said, you figure it out when it doesn't like you just got to make it work.
3: Yeah. Well, one of the things that I did on, as I got further into it is I actually got a producing credit and the same thing I did on the following shows. And the reason I wanted the producing credit was really so that I was able to go to the meetings where they were choosing the couple and the house. Because I would say to them, if we have X amount of dollars and this is the house you're giving me... I don't think we can make it right. We are not going to make this make sense for television. No one's going to see a change. They need electrical work. They need plumbing. work. They need a roof. And that's not really going to be on camera yep. based on right. what we're doing. So I'm like, if we're going to do this, you either have to increase the budget or we have to find people that you love that have an interior that would work on this budget so right. that mm-hmm. the people at home actually see something happen. And so I became a part of that dialogue and I did have to fight for some Things, whether it was more money, and it's usually the budget gets lower it's the last
0: projects. <laughs> You're like, here's a plant. Thank you for being on the show. <laughs> <laughs> now, Bregan, you talk about emotional storyline. Your new show is about.
2: Yeah, it doesn't have much design in it, to be honest. I mean, it really goes back to the house my wedding bought. The focus is around helping young couples make their first time home decision which I love to be able to do. And that's where I started in design. I bought my own, flipped it on my own with pregnant, with my first kid. And if I could give other people those tips, those learning, then we can build you a beautiful house after that. But the first biggest point of purchase is that decision. And there's so much pressure on couples
1: You know, you you got mom,
2: you got dad, you got you got everybody and their opinions and how many you choose to put down. And that was a nice one to be able to really speak to them. And yeah, it was interesting. I wish I'd had
1: you, Regan,
2: because we are first
1: (laughs) at like 23. My my husband and my first townhouse was we ended up living with my mom after that for like a year with a baby (laughs) because it was such (laughs) a mistake. Really? Yeah. Wow. That's when I started my business. But yeah, it was a
2: hot mess.
0: <laughs> as we all know, there's a huge overlap between design and real estate and what how people live and what they choose to live in. And you know.
2: And I've done a lot of shows with TV where it is sort of a collaborative design process, like you guys are talking about. But I always find the interesting part is when you are hired as talent, you show up the day before, you maybe got put on the show a second before. You have a paper in front of you of the whole team of producers, and somebody goes, Well, what should we do on this wall? And you're like, "Uh, (laughs) can I have five minutes? Like, because... It is intimidating. I know we all have design processes and there is this great thing where they do depend on you, but it's like at the beginning of your career, you know, you've got so many cameras, everybody, you don't want to answer incorrectly. And you're like, I don't know, do I say purple or blue? I haven't had (laughs) time to download where we are and what we're doing just quite yet. So I do think that they rely on us for our design talent and I appreciate it. That pressure sometimes is like, yeah. You know, you just want to do such a good job.
3: That's another great point, actually, that you bring up. And I think that one of the things that I tell people when they're like, I want to be on a design show. I always say, you know, you have to make sure that your personality and the way that you design actually will make sense for television. Because if you're the kind of designer that needs time and really has sort of a cathartic process... You are going to have a nervous breakdown and five heart attacks a week. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You have to be able to look at something and, right? Don't you think? Like, yeah, a thousand percent. Yeah. And granted, sometimes you're like, okay, give me five minutes. But there's a lot of my friends who are designers and we talk about it that I say, like, what is your process? And they say, well, you know, I sort of bounce ideas. I have to think about it. I kind of do drawings and sketches. I was like, your TV is going to ruin your day because it's really like you need to think on your feet. And also you have to really think about, you know, you're working with readily available product very often because it has to be right. in five days. So you're working with another language of product and you have to respect that product. And I say to people, you know, you have to understand that there are really great things that are readily available. And if used properly and mixed with other things, they look fabulous. It's the same way that fashion people's sort of, you know, a t-shirt, And a fabulous belt and great shoes and a you know what I mean? It's like, it's the same way we dress now. And I think that that is another thing that a lot of designers sometimes don't really want to speak the language of sort of the ready to wear world for design. And I think that's important that they understand and respect that area, even if it's not their go-to for their everyday business.
2: You have to be committed to just figuring it out. Doing a show sort of in the food space where we were doing makeovers of businesses, right, in a commercial space, we're filming in the middle of COVID. There are no stores open. There's nothing I can order online to come in in time. I'm literally out there spray painting things on the grass.
3: Right. And, I- and every time you sneeze, everybody runs <laughs> screaming.
2: <for their> <laughs> right. Right. But I love that. I love that hype. And I think that like people think of TV as like instant gratification, right? Like, oh, you're on TV. This is great. But I do think you really have to be positioned to be ready for delayed gratification Yes, because there's so much work that goes into it. And my business back home really took a toll when I'm gone for three months. Being on the road, it's hard on your actual clients and your business and keeping that engine running.
0: How do you maintain that? That was one of my big questions. How do you maintain your own businesses? You have to have a team that can ebb and flow and that can
3: pivot and that you really trust, and that really understands who you are, what you do, the way you do things, the way you approach things. You
0: have a shorthand almost. They- yeah.
3: You have to have that set up if you want to be able to do all of those different things. And it's not just being on TV. It's going to every trade show. It's going right. and representing your product. It's also doing morning shows and those things just get in the way. You know, it's like you're kind of jumping around. And then You have to remember when you get to that meeting the next day after that talk show and you're in your client's house, you have to remember exactly what sideboard, what dining table, what dining chairs that you
0: ordered. (laughs) Right. Right. Lauren, how big is your team?
1: So right now there's five of us. And at the time we did it, there were only four of us. So
0: Oh, so that was hard.
1: Yeah, we were not able to keep any income coming in the entire time we filmed, which was Uh, like super stressful.
0: That's hard. That's something people have to keep in mind.
1: So that was hard. And then we didn't have the network team at all. So my whole team... We just acted the way we did for normal clients with the show clients. So, literally, it was all hands on deck. And our business, we just put everyone on a waiting list and the time would get extended. We'd call everyone,
2: sorry, we can't start till. So, it was hard. It was really yeah, hard. They
0: tell you two months and it's three months, right?
2: Yeah. I want to know how Lauren does it with five kids because I, I'm over here uh-huh. I like struggling with two boys. <laughs> Yeah. My husband is
1: so, I mean, like he, right now he is such a sweetie. Like right now he's at a wrestling match with, I think four of the kids. I have one in the other room right now. Uh, We're such a team, the two of us, but he's really hands-on and he's in the business with me. So that's he, amazing. He handles so much of like the typical mom roles. We joke, my kids call him room mom. <laughs> They're like,
2: he'll do the cookies or the, the doctor's appointment. So it's right. just, it's, yeah, right. he's And I think we're all speaking to delegation. I didn't have a husband in the house to do it with, but I had nanny who would fly the kids out to see me. I remember my assistant coming for lunch break on the middle of a production show with all our design plans and everything we were doing for a client. It's like, oh, lunch hour, work hour, you know? Yeah, 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 Yeah. yeah, for sure. And I'm fortunate enough to be surrounded by a lot of strong women around me right now, actually, who are able to take on different roles and they get... 15 minutes with me, and then it's like, go, go, you got this. I think the interesting
1: thing too about TV is you kind of think, okay, when I have a show, it's going to be like downhill at this point because you kind of go through so many hoops just to get on it. And then you're like, okay, now it'll be easy. But then you realize really the whole time that you're involved in producing a show, you're really working two jobs. You never just get to, I mean, maybe at a certain point, I wasn't there to get to just full time do that show. You're really trying to keep your other businesses somehow going.
3: I did the same thing. I was yeah, everything we were doing was happening at once and continues to do that and I I have to say, you know, it trains you to really put together a team that you can trust in every situation that needs to happen. And whether it's a husband or it's an assistant or a designer or a business manager or an agent, having people around you that can sort of like pivot and make it possible for the person who's Wearing all these different hats to be able to fluidly do those things and still have an impactful and authentic connection to each one of those things.
0: I want to ask you guys because obviously, design TV is going through a little bit of a—I wouldn't say a crisis at the moment—but people are questioning it because you know Orlando Sorio posted. That thing about his difficulties with HGTV, and he was on the Business of Home podcast, and he feels that he was basically abused by HGTV, that he did hundreds of hours of work, he risked everything on this show, which I guess didn't succeed, or it was put on a time slot he felt wasn't really going to help his career. He was out a lot of money. He felt that the production team was not treated well. And I want to get your take on that because there's so much TV about design now. So there's so a lot more competition than there ever was. And it, to me, it's not a little bit like the Hollywood system. You know, not everybody becomes a big star. But I also don't want to minimize what seems like he's had valid complaints about the way he was treated. And I just wanted to get a sense from any of you, if you paid attention to that, what you thought about that, what you would warn other designers.
3: One of the first things I would say is that I think every designer has had that experience with a client. Where a client hires you and says, oh, we're going to do this and this and this and this and this. And then it doesn't really turn out to happen the way that they explained it was going to happen. And you put a lot of time and a lot of effort into it. And you feel like you were kind of like robbed of your intellectual sort of creativity or intellectual property, as well as losing lots of hours and time and funds. And I will say what you learn from that experience in business is that you have to be smart about your contract and you have to really be smart about what's happening around you. And I will say that sometimes when a client says, oh, I have a billion dollars, unlimited budget, and you're going to have full access to my airplane, people say, wow, that's too good to be true. That's amazing. It probably is too good to be true. And when someone says to you, we're going to make you famous on television, I think you have to say to yourself, okay wait what are they saying and how are they saying this because if someone says to you that they're, they're going to do something really spectacular for you on television i think it's also your responsibility as a business person and as a creative person to be smart about what you do and what you don't do and understand that if you love design it should be about design first and foremost if you are if you get recognition and you become recognizable in the design world or beyond that that's an added little bonus that is not really the objective of what you're doing. So I think each one of the designers that goes into whatever they're doing, that seems too good to be true. You have to really be thoughtful about what your objective is and try to keep it real. I don't know. I mean, if they were doing all of those things, you have to ask yourself, how do you let them do that? And it's a hard balance. I'm not putting all of the onus on the designer, but I'm just saying it's like, I think a lot of what we've been talking about is like going back to that time where Lauren had to argue with her producers about having someone else design her product. If you didn't do that, that would have
0: probably not been a great thing. That could have killed your career, Lauren.
1: It could have. And we were like at that time, it was such a risk for us to say, we're not going to take income for four to six months. And I don't know about you guys, but we probably put I think when I did the math, we lost a massive chunk of money because the budgets are what they are, and I'm not willing to put out a space that is not right. great. Yeah, it's not right. great. And even right. so, like we reused as much furniture as we could. People are like, "Oh, doesn't everyone get to keep the stuff?" I'm like, "No," because I got to move it to the next right. house and paint right. it a different color and make it look different for next week's episode. You have a set amount from the network, but a lot of that is your own cash. So for us, it was like, oh my gosh, we're investing this time. We're putting a reputation on the line and a huge sum of money went out for
2: us. So we could not risk that, you know, right. I'm incredibly hard on myself. And I think of myself as a business owner and a boss. And I'm so glad the client that I had in the middle of COVID shutdown did not write a blog post. <laughs> 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 I had begged her to move out of her house. I was like, I'll redo your house, but please move out. You do not want to live through this. And You can't make anybody do anything and you start a process. And she did not want to do that. And that just happened to be the client that I had the day school shut down and like COVID happened. And it was at the exact same moment that for budget reasons, we had torn up every single bathroom that she had in her house she was living in with her kids. So she's in COVID, shutdown panic, no sink. I had no one to really lean on. I had to be the adult. I had to grow up. I had to make the choices. I had to say, we're not coming into your house. What do you want us to do? I will get you something temporary. I need you to take ownership. Like this is a horrible situation we're in and I'm going to get you through it. I'm never going to give up on you. But her experience had to be very traumatic and difficult. Right. And I think that, that is real. You know what I mean? All sides of things can be real, but at the end of the day, I control myself and I'm really hard on myself and the choices I make. And that's what it comes down to for me about just being a business leader.
3: Well, you know, and one other thing that I think is important to even just touch on is that I think there has become this sort of like, everyone is excited about having an opportunity to work in television, which I think is great. However. I think that with that, a lot of production companies create a blueprint where it becomes the designer's responsibility to basically take care of financially things that I would say traditionally were not in their wheelhouse or not in their sort of responsibility, let's say. And I think that when they promote a show to a network and say, this show costs $9 to shoot because all of the responsibility is put into a different place. Networks get really excited about that. And I think that what has happened over time is that there's been an unrealistic expectation on some designers that they're being asked to do things that maybe were not traditionally done in home makeovers because production companies are looking to create these great opportunities for networks that they want to work with. So you have to choose a a production company and a concept, I think, that actually is realistic for the designer, is realistic for the production company with the money that they're getting from the network. And it's also something that everyone is putting in their fair share and everyone is given an opportunity to do what they do the best way that they can do it. In that situation. And I think that what we're talking about is maybe there was an imbalance in that sort of formula that allowed a designer to feel a little bit taken advantage of. Right. And just like anything else, it takes one person to sort of like say, hey, this is not fair. And it's really important that we all listen to it and assess is it really not fair? Or are you just being a little bit sort of angry that it didn't work out the way you wanted it to be? And I would say somewhere in the middle is the truth. And every time you push your boundary, then that becomes an expectation.
1: There were things we said we wouldn't do in the very beginning when it was like a pipe dream and far away. There were things we were like, these are our boundaries. And we were very clear with them. And as you go forward, you are asked to Go past those boundaries. Whether it's we need to be finished at this time because this is when our nanny is done, and this is the only time we have childcare. We have to, like certain things, or this is the the schedule we can hit. You're excited. You're part of the team. You're with everybody, and you're like, let's get this done. Like, come hell or high water, like I'm going to do it. And so you do start making sacrifices and carving from your side because you don't want to be an imposition to the network and it's natural. And I'm sure they're making exceptions as well. And so it is one of those things where it is a slippery slope. And I think in hindsight, you can go back and see how your boundaries change and maybe you did things that you weren't comfortable with that you thought were okay at the time or that, you know,
0: you have to be careful. And I think it's also like listening to Orlando. One of the things I thought was that he probably didn't have the best business manager or the best Talent representative. And I, you have to do your homework on that level too. It's not just enough. It's like a business. Going on TV is like, I think, starting a secondary business in a way. And you have to make sure you have the best people, just as you want the best designers working for you on your team.
3: Yeah. I would have my manager come to set probably every other day when I was shooting in LA, just to be there for a few hours to kind of talk to people. And so that he knew what was happening based on what was supposed to happen, based on the sort of what they explained would be happening. And it was really important to have that representation because it allowed that person to maybe say, wait, this seems strange. And it's not putting you in that position to have to do that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's really smart.
0: Okay, so despite the bad publicity design TV's gotten in the last month or so, I know, and I know you guys know, there are hundreds of designers out there who still want to get onto TV. So I'm going to ask each of you What your best advice to somebody is in terms of building your brand so that I don't think they can count on being in the broken elevator with the talent scout the way, (laughs) you know. So what should they do? Should they start blogging? Should it social media, Instagram? How do you think they can get their names to the point like Bregan was where she got that call saying, we want you to be on the show? So let's start with you, Lauren. What would be your advice to somebody who's aspiring to
1: yeah. I mean, I really think it's social media. I mean, that's how our p- company came to us. And I think today there are so many scouts out there just scrolling on Instagram and YouTube. And yeah, just, I think you put yourself out there, be who you are, because if you're not, that's who you're going to have to be on TV. So be who you are. So the right people. And lying is you.
0: hard yeah, you it's for,
2: for that long, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, just put you out there.
0: Okay. And Briga, what about you?
2: I think that's the most obvious one, but also Google Analytics, SEO tagging, really diving into being available for people to find you at what you're good at. That's been a part of sort of building that from the back end. And I'm going to just say, be ready for delayed gratification and really think about if you book your dream show, are you ready to be out of town for six months? And what does that look like? And what can you prep into your life now that when that opportunity comes, it's not such a big, you know, life change that you've put things into place, people you can delegate on. It does take effort to grow.
3: Yeah. First of all, I would say I echo both Lauren and Bregan on all of those sort of social media and all of those different outlets that sort of put you in front of the eyeballs that are interested in what you're doing and what you're good at really be yourself, like Lauren was saying, be authentic, be transparent, be interested, be interesting, bring a dialogue that is fun to be a part of as well as informative and that is unpretentious and that is approachable. I think that's also very important. But I will say this, it's a lot of fun. It is a great journey. Design in general is a lot of fun and a great journey. Throwing a camera into it, really adds another interesting layer to it. It's the same thing that I would say publish if you can. Enjoy the process of design. Enjoy, love what you do. Send that energy out into the world and be passionate about it. Be inclusive. Work with a diverse group of people. Have young people around. Just keep positive, great energy. And that momentum is infectious and people will want to see it In magazines, they will want you on a blog. They'll want you in all different forms of media as well as television because that kind of energy is infectious and it's exciting. If you really love design and you live and breathe it, people are going to want to understand more about what you think and why you're doing what you're doing. And you'll meet other people along the way that feel the same way. And it's really fun. That's what really all of this is about. It's about sharing ideas, sharing information. And kind of enjoying the process.
1: And it's telling the story. That's what we do. So it's like, whether it's a book, a post, a TV show, we are designers. We weave these stories throughout these homes. So it's like, what's your medium for doing that? And everyone you know, has a different one.
2: I think you got to ask yourself too. Do you love people? Because there'll be people yes. everywhere. There's producers, yeah. there's That's managers. That's a good point. They're teams. climbing
3: through your window. Do you love
2: people? Are you okay with people up in your stuff all the time? Not being alone for a long time. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> well, you guys are all amazingly talented, but you're also incredibly engaging people which is of course why you do so well on TV and it's why we wanted to have you on this Cherish podcast and I really can't thank you enough for really being so honest and sharing so much about the experience you've been listening to the Cherish podcast brought to you of course by Cherish which was recently voted by the readers of USA Today as the best place to shop online for furniture and home decor if you enjoyed this episode Please tell a friend or colleague. Or better yet, go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We appreciate your help in spreading the word. And we would love your ideas for future episodes. Please email us at podcast at cherish.com. The Cherish Podcast is produced by Britta Muller and engineered by Hanger Studios in New York. Until next time.